We are living through upside down times. And people who used to be friends attack each other over opinions they can barely express coherently. Where we used to have unity with all kinds of people, we turn around now and we face division. And it's hard to know what you can trust or who to believe. People are scared because it feels like something really bad might be happening or about to happen, or the bad thing that's already happening is getting worse. And it doesn't feel safe to talk about it. I feel it and also I can't help but notice how much this larger cultural moment feels like a sick family dynamic where the parents hit each other and the siblings turn against each other and one gets cut off from the family and the others get enmeshed. Everybody suffers. I grew up in a family like that and I know a lot of you had it even worse where someone smacks you down and then shames you for crying and threatens that if you tell anyone they'll do it again so that you end up shutting yourself down and you end up feeling hopeless. Now sometimes it feels like that's going on around us out there, but of course the scale is bigger and there's even more at stake. When you feel trapped by it all, you might get the urge to lash out and become just like the people who are hurting you. I mean, that's hard to avoid. And when you feel beaten down, it's tempting to just, just shut yourself down and get very small, get quiet, make yourself invisible. That's a trauma reaction too. And I don't blame anyone who slips into a trauma reaction. Just getting quiet or fighting back, it may be what you need to do. But I just want to encourage you to remember that you don't have to make yourself small like a scared animal and you definitely don't have to take part in tearing other people down. You are a human being and even if you've been traumatized, in your heart the path to healing is already there. And you healed is what the world needs most right now. In trauma healing, we talk a lot about what happened, what the symptoms are, how you've struggled. But there's an advanced level of healing that I want to share with you today here, where we're no longer defined by what happened or by the people who failed us. And instead, our healing is now to step into our power and become the good people we always needed, that the world still needs. And we do this with an initial step of self-examination. We're human, we have all the same faults as everyone else, and either our faults are active or they're dormant. <laughs> they can get activated when we give in to that urge to rage and throw our hands up, but we can also be better than that. We can be the person who brings the light of healing into a situation, even if it's just a little bit. It might just be a little shift in our hearts towards what's true and fair and kind. Now, have you felt like maybe you're meant to be one of those people, the ones who bring light to hard situations? Because when people all around are freaking out and turning on each other, sometimes just one person can turn the tide and you can stop it from tilting into destruction or outright evil. It's not easy to do. You have to be very strong you can't have shreds of shame or petty resentment weakening your spirit because holding on to these is exactly how we avoid our own strength. Does this make sense to you? Because this is my question for you. 
Are you holding on to those parts of yourself that keep you stuck in the problems of your life? And if you are, what are you avoiding? What sources of strength are you unconsciously holding at arm's length? I'll tell you some that I know from my experience, what it looks like when we avoid them and what it costs us, but also how we can open up to our strength and step into our power to inspire and defend and strengthen our brothers and sisters all around us, all of them, no exceptions. Here are six things that are very attractive to avoid. One of them is stillness. This is what this looks like is you stay busy all the time. You clutter your mind with pointless information, scrolling, getting angry, drowning in worries about things that you can't control. You might be afraid to be sad. So you would rather get angry than feel that sadness. That's a lot of times when that rage thing feels tempting. Like I just want to get angry. It's a, it's kind of a easy way that you can get yourself up out of a terrible depression is to just start lashing out at others. But obviously there's a terrible price to pay when you do that. And in the long run, your healing will require learning to calm that and work with it in a different way. But sadness is hard and there's a huge temptation to avoid it. And of course we're sad. There's so much to be sad about. When you're avoiding stillness, you may also be self preoccupied because you don't get solitude. And that's what happens. Solitude is where you can process your inner life. If you're not getting solitude, which is healthy time alone to reflect, to have to be with your thoughts, maybe to write things down, to work on your daily practice, then what happens because you can't process that for yourself is that in your, in the rest of your life, you're sort of grasping at trying to get that attention for yourself. And so you become self preoccupied. You could be sitting there at a dinner table, not really paying attention to the conversation or caring for a child and very distracted in your own thoughts and not present for them. You might end up with unprocessed emotion. Unprocessed emotion is a, is a direct consequence of not having stillness. Stillness is when you can process emotion. And the thing about trauma wounds, if you were abused or neglected as a kid, it can cause neurological changes that make your, your thoughts and your emotions very hard. They, they literally just get jammed like a clogged drain. And so inside your mind, and your emotional center, you're thinking and feeling too much. There's so much going on in there. It's like chaos. And then a new thing happens and you can't really easily make sense of it. So stillness is the time when you can begin to process your emotions. That's why I have my daily practice techniques with the writing of fearful, resentful thoughts, asking for them to be removed, resting and meditation. This is this, my daily practice also helps with another aspect of this, which is the cluttered thinking, you know, worries. And I think this, and what if this, and what did they say? And I wake up like this every day and I go into my daily practice, get those thoughts onto paper. It's a very specific practice. I'm always saying that in my videos, if you want to learn it, there will be a link down below to um, learn to do the daily practice. It's a free course that I offer. The lack of presence with people has a terrible cost as well, because what happens is you don't become close to anybody. So when you don't, when you are running away from and avoiding stillness in yourself, because it gives you anxiety, it makes you sad. It's boring. It's not exciting enough. Like that's a human tendency, but I, an, among the costs of that is that 
you spend time with people and there's so much going on in here, you can't feel their presence. So you leave interactions feeling as lonely as you did going into them. It's a lonely life. And what's interesting about when you begin to heal your trauma and your mind becomes more settled and you have the capacity to have a little stillness every day, to be with yourself, to process your thoughts, to get clear about your intentions. Well, then there's a part of your awareness that opens up and you can feel the presence of other people. You feel met by them. You feel accompanied by them. You feel their presence. And this is the opposite of what it is to be lonely. The same thing with clarity is clear thinking. We all crave, we would like to see like, what is my next step? What is the purpose of my life? In this problem that I'm having, which part of it am I causing and which part am I not causing? What do I need to say about it? This is all part of, of mental clarity. And often we're in too much brain fog to be able to see that. We're also in too much resistance to the problem. So when you have stillness, you can begin to make friends with a self-evaluation frame of mind where it feels safe to you to think about, well, let me think about whether this is my part. Let me write down a question I wanna ask my friend who was there about whether did I come off too intense, for example. I love to take notes and I probably don't even reread most of them. Most, well, I try to. But the stuff that's in my mind and worrying me and bouncing around goes down on paper first as my daily practice and then as my intentions, which is to, you know, get more information, take care of an unfinished task, reach out to somebody that I forgot to call. Now that awareness of my missed connections with people, that is how the isolation can be broken. We avoid people because they're too triggering because we're too self-preoccupied, we're too burdened with emotion and we're afraid of alienating them. So we end up isolating. As you begin to heal, you have fewer reasons that you need to stay away from everybody. A little space opens up where you have a natural desire to come forward and have a little interaction with people. And if you've taken my connection boot camp, you know I teach a little at a time, a little at a time. So when we ask the question, what am I avoiding? The thing I put first as the most common thing I think that, that people are avoiding is stillness. The second thing that I think we're prone to avoid is courage. It takes courage to show up for your life. And that means we don't try for things that are hard, so we don't achieve things that are hard. Also, when we avoid courage, we end up afraid to express ourselves and how we feel because we're so scared what other people will think. We think that we will get abandoned. All right, now this is not crazy. There is a lot of that going around, but I'm here to say that the cost of avoiding the courage to speak up and express who you are in the right situations will isolate you worse than anything. It'll be worse than losing a few friends because you said what you really think about something. In a world where we can actually talk about what's on our minds, even if we disagree, those ideas get massaged. We get to like hear other points of view, we can express them, we can find points of commonality, points where we don't agree, but the whole idea in our minds evolves and we get closer and closer to something better, what we had at the beginning of the conversation. And so in this time when people are so afraid to express themselves, there's a terrible cost that will last for decades 
that comes from any of us who just decide to go ahead and go silent about something. I won't think about it. I won't read about it. I won't talk about it. I can't afford to lose my clients or my friends or my family members. When you heal, you can find the social grace to express yourself in more situations, as well as the wisdom to know when not to express yourself, when there's really no point in creating conflict with people, that there's nothing to be gained by it in that situation. In others, there's everything to be gained. Also, when you're avoiding your courage, you will end up more defined by what others want you to be or what you think they want you to be, like people-pleasing rather than who you actually are. Now, it's just, I just don't think it's possible to be happy and to really bring your gifts into the world when you are hiding who you really are and instead trying to, you know, fit in with what you think other people expect. Now, there's a time and a place for that. Certainly, people have been in terrible situations, prison, for example, where you better play the game or you can get hurt. And a lot of us had to be like that in school. We were in abusive families. We just had to conform. We had to do what we had to do to survive the situation. But in your life, for you to be free and happy, there's going to need to be an adjustment where you do become who you are. One of the things that's terrifying about this idea of like becoming yourself, well, two things, who is that? And two, if you are yourself, aren't there all these rough edges that are just going to make things worse? And those are very good questions and considerations. So when we're healing from trauma, one of the big things we're doing is we're working on those rough edges. We're learning to be more patient, kind, considerate, courageous. These strengths that we have that are latent inside of us so that we can trust ourselves better to express ourselves and be ourselves. Just being myself, if I'm just going to go around and, you know, lash out at everybody, that, that doesn't count as being myself. That's myself plus a bunch of trauma-driven behavior. At, at our core, there's a good heart. There's a good heart that would like to be kind and supportive of other people. And we're uncovering that by releasing the fearful and resentful thoughts that just pile up on top of it. All people have that. But I do think that complex PTSD, that the if you were to have to, like, I don't know, shine a light on it that showed what is it made of. It's made of fearful and resentful thoughts that have gotten calcified in there through bitter experience after bitter experience after bitter experience until even when a sweet thing happens, we can't really see something else. And when the time comes to be strong and stand up to somebody who's abusive, it's not there because our thinking has been so muddied by avoiding the courage to do that. Resentment. Resentment is a big cost of not having courage because if you cannot express yourself or be yourself, of course you're resentful. And what we tend to do is blame other people for that. And definitely in childhood, it is other people's fault that it's not safe to be ourselves. But there, as, we, as we set ourselves free and mature, it's time to recognize that that lack of freedom is now very much self-imposed. Now, this is not to say I recognize fully that some people are living in a horrible situation or regime or circumstances, a war zone, where this is not the time when they're discovering <laughs> the subtle parts of themselves. They're surviving. And so many of us have had to be in a survival situation. But as you get the space to unpack this, self-evaluation means, have I been blaming other people for a problem I have? 
you know, I did this video uh, uh, last week, I guess, about under-earning, and a lot of people responded very positively to it. It was a positive, it's been a popular video, but there were a number of things, it really made some people angry, and they were just, you know, keep in mind, I grew up in an abusive family, on welfare, <laughs> had a lot of problems getting my financial life at all onto, you know, onto any kind of firm ground. And now at this age, I'm solvent and feeling good about where I am, but it's been a long road. But still, a lot of people got very angry and they were like, you deny that there, there's a system, you know, and you can never make it and it's hopeless. I do deny that it's hopeless and that you can never make it, but boy, I know there's a system and I've been stuck in the system and I've been squashed under the system and I've been denied my chance by the system. But what I'm teaching here is how to be in the system where you are, because believe me, by yourself, it's not like you're gonna just suddenly, I'm a YouTuber, I can't change the system. Maybe collectively we will, but how we're gonna do that is through courage, through expression, through thoughtfulness, through consideration, through uh, the refinement of our character so that we're worth listening to, to people who haven't changed their mind. And believe me, everybody watching this video, if you asked us how to improve the system, we don't even agree. So it's going to evolve. If it's going to get better, it will be iterative, it will be slow, but if you wanna play your part in that good outcome, it's time to get free of your resentment and blame of other people. And so I know that early in recovery, it's very hard to separate that. Like if someone mistreated you or flat out abused you, how could you possibly have any, any role in the problems you're having now? So I just invite you to consider, it's always a mix. There are things that are done to us and there are things that we do to re-traumatize ourselves and keep us stuck. And we can take all of our focus off of these people. I mean, unless you're going to sue them or call the police or, you know, go confront them. Those are all options that you have. But other than that, all your focus can go over here to working on yourself. How do you become a more clear-headed, strong, courageous person? You have agency. Agency means the power to influence your own life. And so that is something that's lost. Trauma can tend to diminish that in other people, but I think also this upside down world right now is muddying the water to help us understand, no, we have agency. That even if there are, for example, you know what this the negative reactions to my under earning video were about, even if there are terrible employers out there who didn't pay you enough and refuse to pay you enough, your part in it is, did you go find another job? So people will go, oh, but there are no other jobs. And I, there are times and places where that's true. But largely, I hear that as an expression of hopelessness from people who are very much in a world where there are choices and agency. Those of us who have the privilege of choices in our lives, who could possibly try for a different job, go train ourselves something, even if it means watching YouTube videos to understand a skill. I have a secret, like everything I do in my business, I learned from YouTube and Google. No, that's not true. I took a seminar. I took a seminar that was really helpful, and I had somebody show me some of the ropes of YouTube that was very helpful, but I sought that out. You know, there's no like university degree for what I do. I have university degrees. I don't use them. <laughs> I learned everything I learned through just trying to learn stuff. And I wouldn't have tried to learn stuff 
if I hadn't needed to, if my old job, which I hated, was still like viable and I could still just keep having a salary doing this job I hated and complaining about it, I'd still be there right now. So in a weird way, I'm grateful for the system kicking me out. I lost my job. It wasn't working anymore and I had to do something different and I'm, and I'm, I'm actually glad for it. I don't wish on anybody to lose their jobs. That can be a very terrible thing and a crisis and I've been through it more than enough times and my whole childhood was just, you know, a, a terror all the time about money and food and having a car that ran or even, you know, clean clothes. We didn't even have a washing machine for years. And uh, I know what it is. I know what it is to be too, too damn poor. I know what it is. But I also know what it is to be self-empowered, to start to use my agency, my power to make choices and, and try things to change my circumstances. When you avoid facing yourself, you don't know yourself. You may not even know how you feel anymore about people, about yourself. And so that avoidance of courage, it's hard. I think trauma makes it terrifying for other people to criticize us. And so you've probably been criticized for not taking criticism well. I used to be criticized for that. Oh, I hated that. But it didn't take criticism well. It was like an existential threat. I was so close to not being able to hang on to this life that it's like one more thing, like I'm out, I can't do this. And so I was terrified of criticism and only people who have been that traumatized can really understand what I'm talking about. But I, with stillness and with courage, I got to a place where I could begin to self-evaluate myself and begin to know myself and be, be able to recognize, here's a mistake that I keep making over and over again. And in the moment, when you have CPTSD and you get dysregulated, some of those mistakes you're sick and tired of, you know you do it. You know, whether it's like uh, saying, lashing out at people verbally in the wrong situation or getting together with people when you know it's going to, it's just like not going to work and you're going to get hurt. That sort of mistake over and over again, you know, it's a trauma driven mistake. It takes healing to get where you can even get perspective on it. It takes healing to get where you can make a different choice. But here's the thing, you can heal. That's what I'm here. I, I've got hundreds of videos here. You know, my whole life is just devoted to try to help you know, like you really do have a choice. There's a softness in your heart that can show up again. You can begin to have a joyful experience of life. You can begin to express yourself. A third thing that you might be running from, many of us do, is just patience. I never liked the word patience because it sounds boring. But patience, when you lack patience, when you're avoiding patience, when you just want to get the thing decided, you don't do things like due diligence. Like, have you ever signed a contract for a car or a loan or a house or something um, where you didn't read the fine print and later you found out something terrible that was self-sabotaging? Well, I did that with balloon mortgage in the past. I just didn't quite understand what I was getting into. And I, I lived to have it bite me in the butt. And so when we don't have patience to go through and read, it feels like there's too much time pressure on you to do it. But in, in effect, what it is, is it's just a total lack of self-care and self-love. Like, of course, you need to read the fine print of something you're putting your signature to that involves your hard-earned money. Of course you do. Even more so with the people who you become intimate with and let them into your life. Due diligence. Due diligence takes patience. So in the dating context, it means dating slowly, not just jumping in, not sleeping with them immediately so your attachment wound can just like chain you to them emotionally 
And if you have attachment wounds, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can get very quickly into a relationship that feels impossible to get out of, even though on day two, you realize it was a mistake. Because those abandonment wounds kick in and they make it impossible to leave. Due diligence. That's where you do your research beforehand. How you research a relationship before getting into it is spending time, time having coffee, time taking walks, time not reaching out to the person and just seeing if they do their part to reach out to you, time watching how they behave around other people, time watching how they are about uh, schedules and showing up for you. And when something awkward or stressful happens, how do they handle that? Time watching how they care for you when you're having a hard time. Knowing all these things and then deciding if you're going to get closer to somebody. Oh, that's the secret. That's what it is. That's what you didn't learn at home. Due diligence. So we don't read the fine print. We don't do it literally. We don't do it figuratively when we're impatient because it's hard. It's stressful and you just want it to be done. And frankly, I think stressful decisions, you know, when you have CPTSD, anything stressful starts making your mind very noisy. And so trying to do something like even read small letters or something complicated in legalese is overwhelming. And it can be tempting to just get it over with and sign it at the bottom. I mean, how many times have you done that online? I still do it. I'll be honest. I still do that online with some things. But we here at Crappy Childhood Fairy, when you join our membership or take a course, you know, there's terms of service. It's pretty elaborate. And it says stuff like, if you get abusive to other people, we will remove your membership. And... Um, it's very handy to have that because it's a boundary in the rare cases where somebody got abusive within our community, you know, people start, they, they, they can be, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, people are online and then we are actually in a community talking to each other and they behave in that unkind manner to each other. We can remove them from the community and they go, you can't do that. And it's like, yes, we can, because it was there in the terms of service. And I know that most people skip over it and I don't want them to. I really would like people to read it. But sometimes what terms of service are, in most cases, they're not a trick. They're lucidity. They're just fair common sense rules for how you're going to participate in an online group or in a car loan or, or uh, an agreement to go to school and pay back a debt, something like that. When you skip over due diligence about these major decisions in your life, you end up in what we call around here the wrong life. You end up in the wrong life. If you're emotionally attached to somebody you never really consciously chose, you can end up with this very empty feeling that you went down a bad path. Or when you run away from somebody who did love you and who was a good partner, but something was going on with your trauma symptoms that you couldn't deal with and your pride was so great, you couldn't go back and apologize and try to set things right or you did try and it was too late, you can end up in the wrong life. Your right life is something that you will discover through trial and error. And trial and error requires some stillness and some courage. You don't want to end up in relationships and obligations that you never wanted because they will control you. You don't want to end up waiting for someone to come and take charge and save you. And I think that is often the fantasy that we can skip due diligence and somehow the relationship or some other person will come along and we will somehow be lifted up out of this, this mess that we've got ourselves into. 
Well, it's rarely been my experience. I think in my spiritual life, I've experienced a few of those lifted out of trouble moments, thank goodness, right when I needed it the most. But most of the time, what I've had to do is I've had to be the good person that I was waiting for to come and save me. And I've had to get in there and save myself. I've often said on this channel, like running the business of Crappy Childhood Fairy, I, it's, it's so much detail and work. And sometimes I just want to skip over the hard part and just be like, Oh, there, you know, just, just all of that. We'll hire people. I won't even like check their background or anything. We'll just take care of things. But that's, I've learned the hard way. You can't, that doesn't really work. Like I have to come in and I have to guide the process and I have to learn and do due diligence and make good decisions. And when I do that, I have much better odds of things rolling out harmoniously. Like for example, having team members at Crappy Childhood Fairy, it's this incredible blessing where we all work together on something. I'll be working on one thing and some Somebody texts me and says, oh, you know what? There's a typo in your video today. Or uh, don't forget, we've got a daily practice call tomorrow. And, you know, I just noticed on your calendar, you scheduled something that would make you have to hurry that. So as teamwork, all of a sudden, like I can do a better job than I ever did before. For me, this is very big. I'm somebody, part of my trauma is I have to do everything myself. Very hard for me to delegate or accept help or, or even um, advice from other people. So that's part of my healing. It takes courage. And then you can get clear about what you want and you can set about finding what that is. Ah, it's so good to do that when you are just functioning in a harmonious way. That's the whole purpose of your life is to get clear about like who you are, what you're here to do, and to set about finding it. It's a great adventure. And as you find it, the second part of your your purpose in life kicks in and it's to create conditions where other people can find it too. I'm in that phase now. I found what I like to do and now I create conditions where I hope you will find it too. Learning, learning is the third thing that you might be avoiding. Uh, I used to do that. I got out of school, out of college and I was like, ah, done. Whew. And then I would just read things that were entertaining to me. And I, you know, there's a lot of entertaining stuff to read or watch or stream and then, or just vegging out <laughs> or scrolling and it's tempting, but actually learning things, which by that I mean reading challenging books and taking courses online or in person and learning things or actually um, making contact with somebody who knows something you'd like to know and asking if they could give you a few tips. You know you've been avoiding learning when you have opinions about controversial things, even to the point that you're angry and avoid people and cut them out of your life for having other views but you haven't researched opposing points of view to understand where they're coming from. I read about 90 minutes a day and on anything that's controversial, I make it a point to read equally on both sides and I end up having opinions about things. But when I have disagreements with other people, I have much more to understand them with and possibly respect them with. I don't respect all opinions out there, which you don't have to but I can engage in a meaningful conversation with people should the opportunity arise because I'm familiar with their reasons of why they think what they think. And once I can have a meaningful conversation, I can further understand why they feel that way and decide for myself if I want it. I rarely, rarely, and certainly never in public go out and start slandering people for different points of view. And I encourage you to do the same. It's very, it's a very tall order to understand other people's point of view enough to go out there and trash them as an individual or as a group. Don't do it. 
don't do it. That participating in division is toxic. And I don't think there's any way that you can participate in division and attacking other people, either individually or as a group, without having it have the exact terrible consequences on you that you're trying to put on them. It will hurt your reputation. It will hurt your well-being. It will hurt that sweet, soft heart you've got in there that needs safety to come out. And when you are engaged in attack, your, your heart can't open and your trauma is very unlikely to heal. Now, I'll grant you one little thing that when you're at the very beginning of healing and you're enraged and you're sad and you feel like really, really worthless and hopeless, that rage feeling lift is a little bit uplifting, but only for a minute. And it's, it's a terrible price to pay. You know what else is uplifting? Like illegal drugs with a terrible price to pay. So sometimes I think if people are so depressed that their life is in danger, I, when people say I'm using illegal drugs and I'm like, is your life in danger because you're so unhappy? Yes. And I'm like, okay, I understand you have to do what you have to do, but how soon can we help you get on a footing where you have a better way to handle what you're going through? You know, do you need help? Do you need that? And I feel the same way about social attack, you know, people attacking each other online, even making just shitty comments to people, you know, on a social media feed. Um, it's almost never true, is it? You know, and you know that old saying, uh, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And if you ask yourself those three things, almost nothing you see on social media of a negative nature fits the, fits the criteria. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And I think that it becomes such a life and death struggle to defend yourself or the mental defense of yourself, you know, because most people who feel attacked don't feel empowered to fight back or they do. And it just comes out just as nasty as the, the people who attacked them. But then there's this great silencing this way that people turn against their self. And I, I do think that's a lot of why we're seeing uh, such a high rate of depression and anxiety and drug addiction and deaths from these causes. The pressure has gotten more intense than before to shut up, conform, people please, even when you're in a terrible situation. And the thing, when you're weakened by those things, it's very hard to see what is your path out of this whole thing. When you feel hopeless, you cannot see the path and it just seems like, you know, the only thing that's possibly gonna make it better is if other people stop damaging you. But sometimes you don't have control over whether people are behaving in a damaging way or you're in a damaging system. Sometimes you just don't have control over that. The one place you can start is with yourself. When you have a little more strength in one small way within yourself, a space opens in front of you and you can take a second step into your power. Another consequence is that you end up feeling like I should have a higher position in society or in my job, but you haven't done the work to earn that position. Now I know I've been in, I was in a job where I was treated in a sexist, suppressive manner for 10 years. I kept thinking if I just tap danced enough, nicely intelligent, you know, willingly do the work for other people that I would get ahead and I did not. And finally the great healthy thing I did was leave that job. <laughs> But when I looked back, I could think of, you know, I went into business for myself and in business for myself, you know what I was, I was reading books, I was Googling things, I was seeking mentorship and all this stuff that I could have done on that former job, which might've made a difference. And I was, I was just too uh, weighed down mentally and psychologically and emotionally by all the slings and arrows. Do you know that phrase? Just all the, the hurts and the, the insults and things that were coming my way. And I went into an old family role and a lot of us do that. We parentify the employer. 
we go back into that family dynamic and then we're just coming from this like hurt place but there's this other like weird thing that happens when you're in that hurt place is your mind thinks that the employer owes you the way a, pa a parent does owe a child to care for them. A parent has done something wrong when they don't care for them. An employer, if they're not caring for your needs and your professional growth, they're not a good employer. And in most situations, the best thing to do would be to move on. The big consequences of refusing to learn, of avoiding your need to learn, is it makes you adversarial. It makes you like, you know, people are doing something to you when they've, they're sort of moving on with a new way of doing things. When you're adversarial, it will always sabotage your relationships with people. Now, I think there's a time to fight, but often if it's come to that on the job, it's probably time to leave. And I think that there are a few jobs or a few job situations where it's, it's absolutely necessary to stick around and fight the battle there. But personally, my CPTSD couldn't handle continuing to work with people that I had gone, gone to battle with about something. I wouldn't like that. You may have done it successfully, but that to, to cop the role of somebody who is adversarial against the people who make decisions for me would be like toxic. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> Try if you can. Another thing is division. When you refuse to learn, this is a lot where people end up ignorant. When, and as I mentioned, not doing the due diligence to read about different points of view, to understand um, why people do things the way they do. Why is somebody proposing this idea? Why um, do they think that something is dangerous? When you refuse to learn about their point of view, you have no choice but to resort to division with them. And division is like, it's the D word. It's just the thing that, it's the thing that takes us all down. We don't work well when we're divided like that. Another cost is vagueness. When you avoid learning, you have no choice but to remain vague about things. You can neither take a position nor defend a position really. And in a sense, you're faking it. And finally, when you don't learn things, you end up like holding on to old ideas, old stereotypes, old beliefs. Like I used to read these business books that were written 20 years before I was reading them when I was trying to learn how to run a business. And they would always refer to, you know how when you're playing golf with guys, well, I've never played golf in my life. It's not something in my experience. The book was old school. They always referred to Jack Welch. <laughs> and I know who he is, but it wasn't relevant to what I was trying to do. And so I gave up. I'm like, oh, well, I don't have to learn this because everything that can be taught is old and doesn't apply to me. Not true, especially in this age of YouTube. On YouTube is the greatest repository of human knowledge there ever was. You can learn anything here. It's fantastic. And if you can set aside an hour and evening, like, or maybe give up watching TV. Oh, I hate to do that. You know, I love TV. But if you can spend an hour a day learning what, learning your industry, your trade, your, your special thing, you will, you can't help but get ahead. Hardly anybody is doing it. We avoid learning. When you learn, the more you learn, the more you treat other people kindly and with respect. You can ask questions. You don't slander. You don't try to prove your own value by putting somebody else down. You become the kind of person that other people want to have in their life. All right, the next thing that is so tempting to avoid, what are you avoiding? Persistence. We get very quick to think about why we can't have the good things, um, and but we're not willing to do what it takes to have the good thing. And so I hear that a lot. Uh, I get asked a lot, like, how do you do an online business? And I begin to talk and I go, well, first I would read this book. And they're like, oh, I can't read that book. Anyway, online businesses, they're not fair. And there are a few things in life that are unusually fair. And it's um, doing comedy, because if you're funny, 
you will get work <laughs> and having an online business. If you pay attention and you learn how that works, you will succeed. The internet is the great equalizer for a lot of us. The thing I do, crappy childhood fairy, I never would have been hired by anyone on earth to do the job that I created for myself here because of the internet. Another thing that happens without persistence is you give up as soon as you meet the requirement that others have for you. You meet their deadlines, but you abandon your goals. Do you do that? I still have that. I'll knock myself out to fulfill my obligation to the people who work for Crappy Childhood Fairy or the customers. But when I have a goal for myself, like to make sure I get to a second yoga class this week, uh, I treat myself like my time, like that need is expendable. I would never do that to other people. So persistence means continuing to take care of yourself at the same standard that you give to other people. So when you are avoiding the need to be persistent with your efforts to heal, to work, to work out a relationship, what ends up happening is you don't end up with the great accomplishments. Great accomplishments in almost every case are going to require persistence. So then a consequence of no accomplishment is you have a sense of failure. The consequence of failure is that you will be attracted to keep your life very small. When your life is small, you can't get hurt by failure, right? So many people stay small. They keep their life small to avoid the trigger of criticism and failure and risk. And when your life is small, one further consequence of that is you don't tend to have money. In fact, a lot of times this is how poverty can be brought on. Now, there are many reasons that people are poor, but one of them is keeping your life small. So the solution is stay with it. Make room in your life for more persistence and 15% more effort to accomplish the things that are important to you. Another thing you might be avoiding is humility. Now, what is humility? It's when you can't admit you were wrong. Um, you create distance between you and other people because it would sort of force you to admit you were wrong. There's no healing in this, by the way. When you do this, when you can't admit when you were wrong, people's trust in you is damaged. And you alternately beat yourself up and then resent other people for not being as good as you, as smart, as successful, as right. And that's a lack of humility. I'm so terrible. No, they're so terrible. No, I'm so terrible. Humility is being right-sized. So you lose that right-sized perspective on yourself. And when you encounter, this is the big cost, when you encounter moral truth that calls you out, you've made a mistake, you shy away. You lack the humility to face it. And you grab instead for this, you know, smorgasbord of ideas that fit what you're already doing, that justify what you're doing. It can result in arrogance, which people don't like, and that will alienate you from people. It makes you defensive. Same thing, alienates people. It costs you your relationships. And then finally, as a consequence of these things, comes a sense of meaninglessness. Now, the pain of not facing ourselves of facing our shortcomings and stepping into the hard work of becoming something more than we are right now is a pain that eventually gets so bad that we have no choice but to step into it. Now, maybe you've done this before, but it's time to do it again. What are you avoiding? The lovely thing about asking yourself this is you don't have to fix everything all at once. You don't have to. You may want to sit down if you pray and meditate, take time to do that with this question. What am I avoiding? Keep paper with you. Jot down the thoughts that come to you. Keep in mind just because you thought of it doesn't mean you have to do anything with it. It might not even be a priority. It might not even be true. 
these thoughts that come to you when you sit down to meditate on it. But when you take time to reflect on this question, write down what comes to you, sit with these answers for a little while. Some of them come from the very best part of you, what people call your better angels. Some of them might just be random threads of guilt or <laughs> pressure, and you can just let them hang out for a while and see if they get momentum in your mind or if they fade away. If you can spend 10 minutes open to the potential strength in you, open to clearing up some of your doubts and limitations about what your life is meant for, who you are meant to be, then maybe one of those ideas you wrote down will light up as your next step. Change happens through a series of small steps, one after another after another. All you have to do is get oriented in the right direction and then take that next step. And then do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And soon that light in you begins to shine. And guess what? It's illuminating the path in front of you. You know your next step. I hope you'll try. The world needs every little light we've got right now. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.